Amen. Good morning, church family. Glad you have chosen to join us virtually. Uh, one of these days, we're going to be able to be back in this room together, and I can't wait for that. Uh, but for now, um, here we are. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to finish that story today. Incredible story. Uh, but I, I want to invite you to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, you can either open um, your um, paper copy, or if you have a digital copy, feel free to do that. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, find our live event and follow along right now. There'll be some notes in there as well as some other links and important information in addition to the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. So uh, Daniel chapter 3, just to catch us up on where we have been, Daniel chapter 2 is this uh, crazy dream that the King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he had had. Daniel interprets that for him. There was a head of gold, uh, kind of a a chest area of silver, and you had a a lower abdomen part of bronze, and then there was iron mixed with clay uh, for the legs and the feet. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, interprets himself, and Daniel interprets this for him, that he was the, the head of gold. And so he makes this enormous statue, 90 feet tall. And he demands that anyone and everyone who uh, hears music when they're in the vicinity, if you will, of the statue, bow down to worship it. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar demands this of any, uh, everybody, of all of the officials. He brings all of these people together. And then there's a group of officials who are jealous of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, because they're jealous, they say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, there's a, there's a group of people who aren't doing this. And that's really where we're picking the story back up. And so I'm going to start in verse uh, 13 of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. And so here you have this test that he says, hey, surely what I've heard is not true. He's angry. He knows that it's true, but he's, he's got in his, uh, in his rage. He's like, surely when they're standing before me, they're not going to, uh, to uh, kind of uh, diss me or, or uh, in, in any way um, bring an affront to me. So um, is it really true? Nebuchadnezzar um, kind of poses these two questions to them. And uh, these questions are the questions that we've been looking at all along. A little bit different spin, a little bit different aspect here. But uh, the first question that Nebuchadnezzar um, asks is, is there really a God to rescue? He's saying, I am furious. I am the king. I am the one who uh, is in charge of this area and this land. Are you sure that you want to bet your life against my power? Is there really a God um, who can rescue you? That sounds a lot like can we trust God even in Babylon? That's one of the questions that we've carried all through uh, this section uh, of Daniel, and we'll see it um, for several more chapters as as the text unfolds. Um, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were under the sentence of death, not just threatened with death, but they were sentenced to death, and here was a chance for clemency. But what did they do? They, They stood faithful. They trusted God even in Babylon. And they were bound. They were held captive uh, in this moment right here. And we'll see it again here in just a second with absolutely no power to rescue themselves. Under the sentence of death, bound, captive, with no power whatsoever to rescue themselves. That's Nebuchadnezzar's first question. 
the second question as it unfolds in chapter uh, excuse me, ch- uh, verse 15. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And there, there's the threat. There's that sentence of death we were just talking about. And then here's his, here's his question at the end of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? We talked about this just very briefly last week, but I just want to uh, say it again. Like th- This is Nebuchadnezzar saying to them, is there a God who cares enough about you to come against me, the king of the kings here, the ruler of the known world at the time, the guy with the biggest empire uh, that the world had known to that point? Is there a God who cares enough about you to come against me and my pantheon of gods um, to, to rescue you? Can you trust God in Babylon? Is there a God to rescue you? He asked that. And then the second question one, is there a God who cares enough? And the way that Nebuchadnezzar frames that question, it's our second question that we've been tracking along with. Should we trust him in Babylon? The the question arises, this question arises um, so often, I think, for us when we do the right thing and the outcome still looks bad. Like, how, how do we how do we go about um, living our life in a way that, God, we want to continue to trust you, but man, the outcome still looks like it's going to go bad. It looks like it's going to go bad for these three friends right here. The other time that this comes up, and man, I just, I, I want to recognize this as a, as a personal reality, is that um, this question arises also when we hear the accusing and the condemning voice. And so you hear Nebuchadnezzar here, is there really a God who cares enough about you to rescue you from my hand? And that may sound different to you, but maybe it sounds something like, hey, do you really think God cares about you right now? I mean, just look at the things that you've done. Look at the things that you've given into. Look at the things that you've surrendered to. Look at the ways that you've sinned. Look at the ways that you've blown it. Look at the ways that you have um, stepped out of his will and out of his uh, desires and out of his character even. Look, look at the way that you have messed up. Do you really think he cares enough about you to receive you back, uh, to, to forgive you in this moment right here? Do you really think he cares enough? Is there a God who cares? What, what do we do? What do we do in those moments? My wife and I were sitting on our back porch talking this week, um, and she and I were just engaging about the, some of the things that we think God wants us uh, to do for Christians, believers um, to do. What, what do we do? She said, man, I just want to boil it down to these two things, to, sk- to stay calm and to do good anyway. That's basically what we've been saying this entire series. We should trust God. Why? Because he is in control, and we then should live faithfully to stay calm and to do good anyway. In first Peter chapter four, Peter writes this. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator. There's the, there's the stay calm part. There's the, let's believe God is sovereign and in control of this because we're not suffering apart from God's will. We're suffering as a part of God's will. We're not, God's not caught off guard here. He's not surprised by any number of things that are happening in our lives right now. He's not surprised by what's happening in their life and he's not surprised by what's happening in ours. Let us trust ourselves, our souls to a faithful creator. And then that last phrase, while doing good. 
We continue to do the things that we know we are supposed to do. We continue to live in ways that love neighbor. We continue to live in a way that outdoes one another in showing honor. Husbands, continue to love your wives and surrender. Just continually give yourself for them. Um, parents, you, you um, continue to uh, uh, raise your kids and point them to Jesus. You continue to um, serve those who are around you. You continue to provide in ways for people who may need your help and, and, and for you to step in. You continue to work hard, to be diligent, to just continue to do the things. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good. I, I just... I think the thing that has grabbed me as we've worked our way through Daniel here and as we continue to work, I I think the thing that has grabbed me is um, this is so much more, in particular chapter 3, so much more than a children's story. Uh, I don't know if your exposure um, in life has led you to this right here before, uh, but this is the VeggieTales version of uh, Daniel chapter 3, Rack, Shack, and Benny, and it's funny. I mean, it really is. Uh, and it's a, it's a, uh, it, I mean, it says at the bottom of the book here, it is a lesson in handling peer pressure. And on one level, I mean, that, that is a message of Daniel chapter three, but it is so much more than that. It is a tale of what happens to, uh, when unchecked power, um, uh, is, is kind of unleashed on the world and how then we as followers of Jesus don't just function, but really live as God intends in our broken times and in our broken world and at times in our unjust world. And, and just because, um, our idols aren't as easily seen and aren't 90 feet tall doesn't mean they're not just as real. Uh, this, the idols of power and prestige and possessions and the people that we use to get those things, um, they, they still demand our worship. And frankly, if we're honest, they still become angry when that demand is not met. Let's continue the story, verse 19. Excuse me, verse 16. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. And that's the way that that's phrased there is, is, more, is more prayer than statement of certainty. Verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Just to be clear, that's a, a, a phrase there that, that there's not somebody standing there with a thermometer going, gosh, it's seven times hotter. It's, it is as hot as it can possibly get. That's the idea. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, in their tunics. They weren't even stripped of all this. Their hats, their other garments, they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. And here's this sentence of death, bound, captive, and under the sentence of death. Then 
King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. We, we don't get any details about how they fell or what happened when they hit the floor of the furnace. We don't get any details. All we know is that the next scene is then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men in, bound into the fire? They answered, yes, yes, that is true, O king. He answered, that, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a sons of the gods, a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And all of these officials, the satraps, prefects, governors, kings, counselors, all the ones who bowed down before the, the idol, all those that he had assembled, they gathered together, saw that the fire had not touched them. They had no, it had no power of the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And not even the smell of fire had come upon them. Imagine, there was not even a smell of smoke, is what he's saying. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. Don't miss that. They had faith. They trusted in God. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language, that anything that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. There's no other god who is able to rescue this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So I just... Nebuchadnezzar posed those two questions. Is there a God to rescue? Is there a God who cares enough? And now I just want to take a minute and highlight, yes, there is. How then did God go about rescuing these three friends? Uh, the, these three things to know. Number one, um, he rescued them through the fire, not from it. He rescued them through the fire. They were thrown into the fire, bound, if you will. Um, I think it's important to note that because at some point we, halt, we all hit this kind of existential crisis of facing our own fire, our own judgment, our own failure, our own fragility, our own um, mortality. Um, the process for them was terrifying. And can you imagine just being bound and they're, they're, they're brought up and they're cast um, into the fire. Ironically, in that moment, those who um, obeyed God rather than Nebuchadnezzar lived. Those who obeyed King Nebuchadnezzar rather than God died when they were cast into the This is a terrifying moment for them. They, they do not know how this is going to turn out. And there is an existential crisis for them. That process was terrifying. But that existential crisis led to experiencing Christ. And I don't want us to miss that, that there in the fire, he rescued them right there in the midst. They were tossed into it. And it's there that they found their rescue. Second thing I want to highlight. He rescued them, not from afar, but by joining them. As they fell into the fire, whatever that looked like, what, just tossed in, if you will, from some top trap door, fires come, flames come out as they're tossed. What they find when they hit the ground is that there's somebody waiting on them. 
Now, church family, I don't know where that lands on you today, but I just want to say no matter where you're falling right now, there's somebody at the bottom waiting on you. What you will find when you, when you have that moment of crisis, when you deal with the things that are in your life right now, when you have to wrestle through uh, all of the stuff that's going on and you've got um, pandemics and job situations and family stuff and cracks that are being shown in your own character and in your own soul, flaws if you will, what you will find when you fall and hit the bottom is that there is somebody already there waiting. Some think that this was the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before he actually came to the earth. Some think maybe it was just a kind of protective angel. Either way, it is a sure sign that God was with them. And what more do you want in that moment? What more do you want as you're being tossed into certain death? What more do you want in that moment? Just to know that God was with them. The, The truth is, is that some of us would settle for less. Some of us would settle for relief. Some of us can can kind of mature beyond simple relief, um, and and we want healing. We know that there may be pain to bring healing. But I think the challenge for us is not just maturing beyond relief and maturing beyond healing, but we say, Jesus, no matter what, we want healing you. This is the testimony of saints who've gone before. It's Paul in Philippians chapter 3. I counted all loss in order that I could gain you. I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection, which everybody loves. And the very next phrase is, and the fellowship of his suffering. Whatever happens, Jesus, we just want you. The prophet Isaiah mentions this in a really, really powerful um, passage in Isaiah chapter 42 excuse me, chapter 43, this is what he says. It's the first two verses of Isaiah 43. Listen, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, you people of God, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Don't miss that. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, not when you're plucked out of the fire, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Why? Because he is there. He is shielding you. He is um, protecting you. He is with you. Lastly, he rescued them fully, not just partially. What do you mean by that? Well, um, he saved them from death and gave them life. That is an incredible thing. Falling into the fire, all of these other guys have died. Those who, uh, as I said a while ago, those who obey the king and not God, they died. Those who obeyed God and not the king, they lived. This would be something like Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 16 and the, the other parts where he says something similar. Uh, if you uh, lose your own life today, you gain it. You keep it. You try to keep your life in this moment, you lose it forever. He saved them from death and he gave them life, but that's not the whole story. He also saved them from bondage and gave them freedom. Don't forget what Nebuchadnezzar said. Hey, didn't we throw three guys into the fire? But that's not all that he said. Didn't we throw three guys bound into the fire? And yet I see four and they're up walking around. What's up with that? Somehow, some way, the, the ropes, the things they had bound them with had been burned off and yet they were untouched. 
He saved them from bondage and he gave them freedom. Can you imagine being in the furnace and being alive, but not being free? And I think some of you can't imagine that. Because all you've ever known, all you've ever hoped for, is that you could just receive Jesus today, be forgiven of your sin, be promised eternal life, and you're just going to grit your teeth and close your eyes and, and hold on to heaven until heaven comes. And Jesus wants so much more for you than that. He, he wants you to really live, and he wants you to live in freedom. There, there may still be fire around. There may still be things that are happening here. They weren't out of the furnace yet. All they knew, all they knew is that they were alive and they were free. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. That's what he wants for you too. I just want to back up through those three statements, kind of go in reverse order here, because this is the good news. This is the good news. This is the gospel for you and for me. Jesus is in the business of rescuing us and rescuing us fully, not, not partially, but fully. He not only forgives us of our sin, which would be enough. He not only gives us eternal life, which would be enough, but then he liberates us. He sets us free so that we can walk in the ways that he wants us to. He, he lets us live a life that, that he um, desires for us. Jesus rescued us not like he rescued them. He rescues us by joining us. He didn't just from heaven go, hey, you know what? We'll take care of this. He came down as a man. He lived among us. He walked among us. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling here. He, He came so that you and I could have a sense of, hey, we really, he really is with us in the midst of this. And he rescued us from the fire. That's true. But he rescued us through it. Now listen to this. Listen. He shielded us by giving his own life for us. What should have consumed us, what should have burned us, what should have killed us, we who were under the sentence of death, we were the ones who should have burned. But Jesus let all of that um, consume him instead. When he died on the cross in our place and for our sins, the sins that should have wiped us out instead fell upon him. This is the good news, folks. This is the good news. And this is why we gather every Sunday virtually. It's why we gather Sundays when we can in person. It's why we gather and sing songs about the cross and about the tomb and about how Jesus is in the business of rescuing us. Because what we find is no matter what is going on in our lives, the ultimate fire that we will have to face is judgment before God. And there is someone who stands there for us. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, I just want to appeal to you today. Give your life to Jesus. You will be forgiven. You will receive life and he will set you free from the things that bind you up. You will find him in the fire. You will find that he protects you, shields you, takes it on so that you don't have to carry it. You will find that he can rescue you fully, not partially. And if you're a follower of Jesus, man, I just want to invite you to rejoice with us.
And I want to invite you to think about your life and think about all the areas of your life, all the spheres of your life, and just where, where, where might there be a place where Jesus is ready to do something profound, powerful in your life and set you free. Even maybe, maybe even in the midst of the fire, but he's going to set you free. If you need prayer today, or you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, you send a text message to the number that we've been talking about, 833-520-0764. Again, 833-520-0764. We want to encourage you to do that, and we would be so happy to pray with you. If you need somebody to talk to, we will touch base with you just as quickly as we can. I want to say a prayer for all of us here, and then we'll um, respond with a song. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to say, first of all, thanks that you meet us in the fire. That when we kind of hurl headlong and find ourselves thumping on the bottom there, that we look up and you're there. And God, I, I ask for salvation to be released to anyone who hears my voice who needs it today. They would give themselves to you and you in turn would give yourself to them. God, I also ask um, that anybody who is a follower of you who still has some bondage or, or maybe is just doing their best to hold on until heaven, God, you would liberate them from that small um, view and understanding of salvation and you would set them free to live as you desire for them to live. God, we know that there is a space between, but Lord, we, we want that space to shrink down just as thin as it possibly can. So come and do your work in us. This is no children's story. It's an invitation. And so we want to be a people who trust you. The, the final question is always this. Will we follow you even in battle? And Lord, for every person who's hearing my voice today, I pray that they're heart leaps with a yes. We know, Father, that our land is in desperate need of healing. Physically, socially, culturally, morally. We ask, God, that you would have mercy upon us and give us as the people of God, the church, give us as the people of God opportunities to continue to trust ourselves and trust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. And God, that would, be, that would release your healing into this. We do pray, Father, for a, a, a mitigation of this pandemic. Thank you for all of the folks who are working on it. We pray for the president and the vice president and everybody else all down, the governor, um, the judges here in our counties who are working hard to do what's right for society. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom beyond their experience and beyond their expertise. Mercy, Lord. But God, our ultimate hope is in you. And Lord, help us. We raise our hands to say, God, we want to be part of the solution. For everybody who feels like they're falling headlong right now. I pray that the message of this song, the songs that we've sung, but certainly the message of this song, would ring true for them. It really is well. It really is because you are still God.
love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's respond with this song.